It's Tuesday for me. So it could be Wednesday, it could be Tuesday evening for you, it could be Wednesday, it could be Thursday, it could be Friday, whenever you're listening to this, just know that it is Tuesday for me. And we've had a couple of big stories kind of drop over the past few hours, past few days, sports stories related, sport related to sports stories. And we're going to get into a couple of those. Serena Williams kind of announced that she was stepping away from the game of tennis to focus on becoming a building her family, uh, you know, and kind of explore other business ventures. We're going to talk about Serena Williams a little bit. We're also going to talk about Kevin Durant basically trying to muscle his way out of Brooklyn, muscle his way out of another team, if you will. Uh, after signing a four-year, $190 million deal with the Nets just a couple months ago. He has asked for a trade, and it's gotten a little bit messy. We're going to talk about that a little bit, as well as kind of how it affects the player empowerment movement that we're seeing across not just the NBA, but across sports in general. Uh, And then we're going to touch on a little bit about some of the media rights deals that are going on in college football. A big one that was just, uh, the, the deal wasn't announced, but one a particular deal that ousted a very big sports media publication, if you will, and uh, we won't be seeing any college football or basketball games on that specific uh, platform, which was huge. I'll get into that in a little bit. Um, but first, we're going to talk about let's talk about Kevin Durant in the Nets. This was kind of a big deal. He announced that he was looking for a trade back in June, I believe. He was, not Kevin Durant didn't announce it, obviously, but it was announced that he went to the Nets head office, uh, Joe Sy, I believe is the the owner for the Brooklyn Nets, and he basically told Joseph Sy, Joe Sy, that he wanted out of Brooklyn just after signing a four-year, $190 million contract with the Brooklyn Nets over this summer, kind of looking to. Um, stay put it seemed like at the time when he did sign that extension but now with everything that's kind of happened around Kyrie Irving and his situation where he has kind of been flaunting his resume to other teams as well he made a list Kyrie Irving did made a list of of teams that he was looking to go to and get traded to because of the situation that deteriorated around Brooklyn when he didn't get the vaccination he only ended up playing I believe it was 29 games this past season because of his vaccination status in New York being one of the one of the states in the country where you have to be vaccinated in order to play um, in the in the arena um, in Brooklyn and in New York. So he only ended up playing 29 games, all of them on the road, uh, none of them in, in New York until I think it was towards the end of the season when they finally allowed, you know, they New York kind of uh, laid back a little bit in order for him to play, not for him to play, but then, you know, as, as COVID-19 kind of died down a little bit as everybody else was getting the vaccine. They kind of let up on some of the some of the restrictions and Kyrie Irving was finally able to play. But with the unsuredness of him being able to be around Ben Simmons, who they traded for after having James Harden for a little bit, the Nets had James Harden. They traded him to Philadelphia in order to get Ben Simmons. And then Ben Simmons didn't end up playing at all, even into their playoff run, which was kind of what they were banking on when they traded James Harden. They were hoping Ben Simmons could come in and kind of create a good defensive force for the Brooklyn Nets because Brooklyn was not a good defensive team at the time of that trade. And Ben Simmons is one of the best defensive players in the league, period. At the very least, that's what you'll get out of Ben Simmons. You don't know what you're going to get offensively because he's not a good shooter. We've seen that before. He's had troubles with the ball on his hands. Uh, he's a good passer and, you know, creates space 
for other people, but he cannot shoot. He is almost he was almost scared to shoot back in last year's playoffs with the Sixers. But a great defensive player, one of the best defensive players in the game, period, bar none. And uh, they were kind of hoping to get that. The Nets were hoping to get that with the trade uh, with Philadelphia from James Harden to Ben Simmons. But Ben Simmons never ended up playing. So Kevin Durant was kind of stuck carrying the load for this team for a lot of the season as the sole superstar that was actually playing. And now we're in a situation where Durant looked like he was on board to continue this Unwind this this winding road of decision making and and confusion with the Brooklyn Nets. It looks like he was he was committed to trying to finally straighten the road, get in the playoffs, become one of the best teams in the East, and play for a championship. But now it looks as though with all the uncertainty that has come with the offseason, even though it was looking like it was going to become more certainty, it has become more uncertainty. Uh, it looks like Kevin Durant is now wanting out after signing. His four-year, $198 million, $190 million extension, whichever one it is. I can't remember which one it is off the top of my head. But four-year, $198 million. That's, I just read it. Four-year, $198 million contract. So, he wants out. He regurgitated it again. He told Joe Sy that he wants out once again. Or, he gave him an ultimatum this time. Uh, Durant gave Joe Sy an ultimatum this time as well. It's either him or they fire head coach Steve Nash and general manager Sean Marks. And that is kind of the epitome of what the player empowerment movement has kind of become under in the NBA and mostly in, in a lot of other uh in a lot of other sports as well. Mainly the NBA though, because nothing is more you know, the superstar is not more powerful than other than maybe the quarterback position in the NFL. But other than that, the superstar is not more valuable than it is in the NBA. If you're LeBron James, if you're Kevin Durant, what have you, if you're any, if you're one of the top five, ten players in the NBA, you can basically command whatever you want from your owner, from your general manager, from your coach, without that many repercussions. LeBron James has basically gone from, you know, playing under somebody in Cleveland at the start of his career to going to Miami. Learning yeah, in Miami, they're not going to let you kind of run the system, but that's part of the reason he left Miami because Pat Riley wasn't going to let him let LeBron James come in and ask for uh, whoever he wanted and try to get whoever he wanted to come and join the team. That's not really how they run things in Miami with under Pat Riley. So he left again and went back to Cleveland and in Cleveland the second time he was kind of able to ask for whatever he wanted in terms of players, in terms of who he wanted around him. And Cleveland was willing to oblige, and it ended up working out for them. They got Kyrie, well, they had Kyrie Irving before, but they caught Kevin Love, uh, traded for Kevin Love after getting Aaron Wiggins, or Andrew Wiggins in the draft. Just the, I believe it was just the offseason prior, they were able to trade Andrew Wiggins to the Timberwolves in order to get to, uh, Kevin Love. They got a bunch of other guys that LeBron James was looking to play with in order to build a championship team around as he saw fit, not necessarily as the Cleveland front office saw fit, but they were just happy to oblige LeBron James and get the people they want because that he wants, because LeBron James is one of the top five, top two player, top three players of all time, nonetheless in the league at the time. And and it ended up working out for them. Obviously, they won a championship in Cleveland. That's all they really wanted to do anyway. So, you know, it was all Marion stuff in Cleveland, even though he was basically running that team. He can deny it as much as he wants. LeBron is kind of running the situation no matter where he goes. But now LeBron 
goes to Los Angeles. He wins a title with Los Angeles. Nobody's disputing that with the Lakers after he goes and gets uh, uh, Anthony Davis. You know, he's not the GM per se, quote unquote. He's not the president of basketball operations or anything like that. But he is definitely running that team from the shadows. And it worked at at first, you know, he, like I said, won a championship with that team back in 2020 when they were in the bubble with Anthony Davis um, as his number two. But now, as you look at it, outside looking in now, the 2022 offseason heading into the 2023 season, that team is kind of a mess. Uh, they got Russell Westbrook mainly because um, LeBron wanted to get was Russell Westbrook. He wanted to play with Russell Westbrook, and that has more or less backfired. They don't have a lot of young talent around that team. It's a bunch of veterans because LeBron James wanted to play with these guys. He doesn't feel like he has time to wait for people to develop, and he's getting people that he needs in order to feel like it, it, what he feels like he needs in order to chase another championship, and he'll always be chasing that Jordan ghost, if you will. And he, as he knows, father time, even though it hasn't affected him like it has other people, it's still affecting him. And it's something that is closely closing in basically on him as you, if you will, uh, he knows he probably doesn't have a lot of time at his peak because he's still in his peak. He's still one of the best players in the NBA bar none. Um, but he is becoming to the realization that he doesn't have a lot of time. And I think that's not necessarily what's happening to Durant here, but the Brooklyn Nets definitely leaned into, look, we'll give you the keys to the ship. We'll give you the keys to the car. We'll give you the keys to the bus, whatever you want to use, whatever metaphor you want to use. We will give you the keys if you come here and try to win us a championship. We will give up whatever you want or whatever. It will give you whatever you need in order for you to come here and try to win a championship. And for the most part, it looked like it should have worked. Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, that's a good, I mean, that's a good one-two punch period. That's a great duo if it's, you know, if if everything normal goes on with the, if everything that can happen to the world doesn't really happen, the pandemic doesn't happen, that sort of thing. Uh, if injuries, I mean, you know, Brooklyn was hammered by injuries uh, these last few years, and now it just looks like it's going to completely backfire on the Brooklyn Nets in a way that I don't think we've ever seen. They're going to leave if Brooklyn, if uh, Kevin Durant does end up getting traded, if Kyrie Irving does end up getting traded as well as he would have liked, even though Ky- uh, Kyrie Irving is not fetching the price that he thought he would have gotten because there's not a lot of uh, reliability there in terms of can he stay on the court? Uh, our team's going to ask him to get the vaccination. Is he still going to deny getting wanting to get the vaccination? If that's the case, then he still can't travel to I believe Canada is still uh, still holding off on vaccinations and stuff like that. There might still be a couple other states that hold off on that sort of thing, but we'll see. Then, then that's kind of all a fluid situation. But regardless, he still has also been pretty injury prone as well. Same with Kevin Durant. He's, he's struggled with a couple injuries as well. He was coming off an Achilles tear when he first got to Brooklyn. And now Kyrie Irving isn't fetching the price that he was initially getting, obviously. But Kevin Durant, he's still a very valuable asset. He's still one of the best players in the league. He's one of the best scorers in the league. He averaged 29.9 points in 55 games just this past season. He's still one of the best scorers in the game, period. Um, So he's still going to be able to fetch a decent price. And not to mention, he's under team control for whoever he gets traded for for four years because he just signed that contract. Whoever he's going to, they have to shell out $198 million. But whoever it is, that's four years of team control. Granted, he could just force his way out depending on, you know, 
if it's a same if it's a similar situation to the one that he's in right now if it's something he doesn't want to do you know if it's a team he doesn't want to go to again the player empowerment movement has become all powerful he can just end up kind of sitting it out and waiting for the whoever he goes to to trade him again to the team that he wants to go to and i'm not against player empowerment let me put that very blatantly clear i'm not against it whatsoever but just like there was and is negatives to the other way to run the teams as uh, owners, you know, it, as owners have run their teams and GMs have run their teams, there's negatives to those sides as well. But under player empowerment, the backfiring of these mega teams that are being built by the players mostly, it feels like those blow ups, those explosions that happen, those teams breaking up feel more uh, impactful than what happens before we all know what happened with the bulls ownership got in the way of what uh you know jordan would have stayed there he would have stayed after 1997 he would have tried to win a couple more you know however many would could have or you know even during when he went to go play baseball ownership got in the way after he came back and you know that was kind of a disaster for the bulls 1997 was the last time you know everybody saw the last dance that was the last time they're going to play together if ownership doesn't get into that you know and kind of ruin that entire situation who knows how much longer jordan is there who knows how much longer he actually plays for the chicago bulls and how many championships they win and now you're kind of seeing the opposite of that where the players are saying we want this or we're not going to play for this team or we want these players or we're not going to play for this team and that is kind of changing the dynamic around basketball teams and around teams in general. We just saw Tom Brady moving over to the NFL. We just saw Tom Brady try to weasel his way. Weasel's kind of a negative connotation, which, you know, it is kind of a negative situation he got himself into, but he tried to weasel his way into becoming the quarterback for the Miami Dolphins and not a lot of people are talking about it, but he tried to backdoor his way into becoming an executive for the Miami Dolphins, an executive slash player with the Miami Dolphins, which would have been one of the craziest episodes of tampering leading to a one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time basically going across the state of Florida to go play for the Miami Dolphins. And it would have been one of the craziest hijackings in the history of the sport. Not a lot of people are talking about it because it didn't happen, but that's a very interesting, another interesting look at player empowerment. Tom Brady holds the keys to that car, and if he just ends up not wanting to play for Tampa, we could see what he did, where he basically retires and writes up a speech, uh, writes up a, uh, a you know ten page Instagram post, basically saying goodbye not to the game but to the Tampa Bay Bucks, which was why you know the New England Patriot fans were all wondering why they were mentioned in that retirement speech. It's not because he was retiring. It's because he was saying goodbye to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers so he could go be an executive for the Miami Dolphins and eventually become their quarterback and try to take a championship to bring a championship to Miami. That is another example of player empowerment kind of backfiring. Again, it's not in, it's not getting as much media coverage as you would think because that would have been an astronomical mind-numbing incredible event that would have happened in the history one of the more incredible events that would have happened in the history of the nfl didn't happen unfortunately i would have loved to see the the news stories out of tampa bay the news stories out of new england it would have been incredible but it didn't end up happening but again it's another it's another one of the uh i guess negatives if you want to call it that i don't call it a negative but one of the parts i guess to 
player empowerment where these guys are now realizing that they are the product. They don't need to listen to Joe Sy or, you know, Sean Marks, the GM for the, for the Nets or whoever the, the owner, the, I can't remember the owner, the owner's name for the Buccaneers, but those guys or, uh, or Robert Kraft, the owner of the GM or the owner of the uh, Patriots. They don't need to follow these guys role or rules or, or anything like that because these guys are finding out that they, these players are finding out that they're the product. And when the product walk or when the, when the talent walks away from the product, the product suffers and they're in, they're bringing that, they're putting that together and basically using that to create and go where they want with the powers that the powers that they can use in order to get what they want. And it's pretty incredible. I mean, we're watching it happen. We're basically watching it come to fruition right before our very eyes. I mean, and it's, it's hard to kind of understand uh for somebody from the outside looking in what's going on but these guys are realizing that they are the product the talent is the product and it's creating waves in in both leagues i mean almost every league again it's not you know other than the quarterback position there is no bigger importance for a superstar than in the nba the nba is a league built around superstars if you have one of the top 5 top 10 players in the league then you are going to compete at the very least for a playoff spot or a title. That is how it is in the NBA. And these guys are starting to realize if I am a top five, top 10 player in the NBA, I can basically command whatever I want, whoever I want on the team. And I can kind of drive the bus of this team to whatever direction I want in order to make it a good team. Or if it's not a good enough team up to my standards, I can be like Kevin Durant, request a trade and get out of here go somewhere else that'll listen to me. Now, the thing is, if you're the Nets, it also puts you in a different a difficult position because one, you have no trade capital, not anymore. You traded a lot of your trade capital for uh James Harden in order to get him and then you traded more of it to Philadelphia in order to get rid of James Harden to get Ben Simmons plus other moves that cost you trade capital. I think they have two draft picks in 2023, but they have a swap with Houston or Philadelphia. Uh, whichever pick is worse, they will get, um, whether it's Houston or, or Philadelphia's. And then I don't think they have a first-round pick until 2026 or 2027, one of the two, something like that. So they have no draft capital. So you're either going to play with a very disgruntled Kevin Durant, if he even ends up playing or wanting to play on the team, you go into training camp with a very disgruntled Kevin Durant. Think of the Ben Simmons situation with Philadelphia last year where he basically, now granted, Ben Simmons did have a medical issue. He had a neck problem throughout the year. Um, Kevin Durant doesn't have any medical issues that we know of that is keeping him from playing basketball or going to training camp. And at that point, if he's not playing, then he can get fined and you can basically waive the contract fee for that season. If he just ends up uh, opting to not play, that's a different situation. So you either, he either comes into training camp and kind of just makes a gigantic mess of the situation kind of, commands the ship, if you will, and runs it straight into the iceberg as a bad metaphor, but you get what I'm saying, uh, and, you know, collapses the team to a point. I'm not saying he's tanking games, but he can create a mess of the team in terms of uh, chemistry and stuff like that, where it does become a problem, becomes a distraction, that sort of thing. Or Josai and the Nets, you know, fall to his, you know, to his graces where they end up trading him. 
They whoever gets them still has four years, 198 million it is 198 million dollars, but it's four years of team control, which is that's a long time. Granted, Kevin Durant he is 33 years old, so he is going to be getting into the elder years of his time. But again, he's he's coming off a season where he had 29.9 points per game in 55 games or so. So a team that's getting Kevin Durant even for 55 games at 34 years old, that is a hot commodity. Even if it's at the trade deadline, that makes you a championship team. If you have the pieces, if you're a four, five, six seed, you get Kevin Durant at the trade deadline or in training camp, you're a championship contender now, period. No question about it. If the Heat get him, that bounces them in front of the Celtics, in my opinion. If the Suns get him, even though I don't think that's possible technically, if the Suns get him, that jumps them in front of the in in into a heavy contention. Even though they're already one of the contenders in the league, whoever else gets him, if they're one of the middle seeds in the NBA or in the uh, either conference, the Western Conference or the Eastern Conference, that jumps them in front of the conversation as one of the best teams in the league. Period. Cut and dry. So. If I'm Josai, you don't want to make it look like he is commanding your ship, but you also want to get something out of him. If he's going to cause problems on the team, if he's going to cause distractions for the team, if he's not going to be able to play without, um, you know, still wanting a trade or something like that, still cause a distraction because of it, then get get something for him and get out of it. Get out of that situation. Stick to your guns with Steve Nash and Sean Marks. You hired them, even though they, you know. Steve Nash has quietly been called around the league, kind of the the puppet master or the the, the puppet and Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving have been the puppet masters, if you will. Um, but if you if you believe in Steve Nash, then get rid of Kevin Durant. Get something out of him as you can, while you can, because he's as valuable as he's ever going to be right now. Get something out of him. Get your draft picks back. Get your draft capital back, and move on and start another rebuild. Now nobody wants a rebuild. Of course, it's Brooklyn, Brooklyn or New York basketball is not fun to watch if they're both teams are bad and the Knicks aren't very good either. And the Knicks haven't been good in about 10 years now. And um, if Brooklyn goes back to that, goes back to the drawing board, the New York basketball is coming to another standstill where they have bad basketball. And I don't know if the New York market really wants that. Obviously they don't want that, but it's not good for basketball. If both New York teams aren't good on TV or what have you. So they're stuck in a sticky situation. I I would hate to be Joe Cy right now. Um, but again, I'm not against player empowerment by any means. They are the product. I totally understand it. They are what creates the game and makes the game as fun as it is to watch. If they're having fun, then everybody else that is watching the game is having fun. And if you know we have good teams, good matchups and stuff like that, if we're watching good games and we don't have disgruntled players you know, sitting out because of trade cl- or because of their request for trades or what have you, the game is better when everybody that can play is on the court and all the best players are on the court. The game is just better that way. It's more fun to watch superstars play the game than watch owners, you know, have command over these superstars in a, in and make them sit because they don't want to be there. It's just, you know, power more power to the superstars. Now, again, it's going to it could end up biting him. I mean, you know, it'll be a lesson learned for Kevin Durant just like it has been for LeBron James and what have you. But again, just because it, it he's wrong doesn't mean he won't learn from it or anything like that. And who knows, Kevin Durant could become a better player, a better businessman, you know what have you on the other side of this. I'm just interested to see what happens with the Nets situation because it is 
we're going on what four years now that this this uh, grand plan with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving kind of came together, James Harden as well, and it just it's insane to me that after just four years, the Nets are going to be left in complete disarray, no draft capital. If they do get something out of them, they'll get draft capital back more than certainly. But right now, as it stands, two disgruntled superstars in Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and no draft capital to show for it. Not a very good team behind them, even though they signed a couple of guys that were pretty good. Ben Simmons, we have no idea if he's going to play and he doesn't have any trade value because he hasn't played. Nobody knows his state of mind. And it's just insane to me where the Nets came from, which was, you know, in 2018, 2019, they got both these guys, all three of those guys. Uh, well, both of them, you know, they got James Harden in a trade with Houston, but they got both Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. And everybody was like, okay, this is one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. If they're all healthy, if they're playing together, period, cut and dry, they're one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. They're the team to beat in the East. That was back in 2018, 2019. Now, 2021, 2022, we're watching the sun explode. Basically, we can't take our eyes off of it because we're like, wow, we really want to see the end of this. It's truly incredible how fast this kind of all fell apart and where it kind of leaves the Nets. Uh, we'll see what happens, but it doesn't look great for the Nets. doesn't look great for Kevin Durant either, but in the end, Kevin Durant's going to kind of go to wherever, you know, not necessarily wherever he wants, but wherever he goes, he's still going to be a fantastic player. He's still one of the best players in the league, and he's going to get his regardless. So if it's my money, I'm putting money on the, you know, Kevin Durant probably getting traded to a team with a decent amount of draft capital. If you're super petty and you're Joseph Sy, you trade him to like the Kings or whatever, and he can go just sit in Sacramento, which that's worse than death. So we'll see what happens. Um, that's kind of the that situation. We're going to get into some other things. Serena Williams, he, she, excuse me, she announced her uh, stepping away from the game of tennis. She, uh, in a Vogue article that came out, I believe it was Tuesday or Monday evening. She was on the cover and she announced that she was going to slowly uh, start stepping away from the game of tennis. I believe the U S open that's coming up is going to be her last uh, professional grand slam professional tennis tournament. Now she could come back, but it sounds like according to that article, it sounds like she's going to be stepping away for good as she tries to focus on other business ventures and uh, her family and stuff. So Serena Williams as you know, I'm not a huge tennis guy. I watch it here and then I know all the big names and stuff. Um, but Serena Williams, I think I could confidently say that Serena Williams in a world of men's sports dominating the spectrum in every sport in terms of viewership and, and you know, money and stuff like that. I think Serena Williams is one of the only women that basically outshined every other man in that respective sport. When I think tennis, I think Serena Williams. That's the first name that comes into my mind is Serena Williams. I don't think I can think of off the top of my head. There are and very many other women that were have been able to accomplish that. She's arguably the greatest tennis player of all time on both sides of the court on men and women. She's won 23 grand Slam singles titles. She's only one behind. It's the second most all uh, second most all time. It's the most by any player in the open era, but the second most all time behind Margaret Court, who has twenty four. Um, she is regarded as probably the best. I mean, you'll have a couple other people say Margaret Court, but you know 
the best women's tennis player of all time. Her and her sister Venus have won 23 doubles titles. She's also won, Serena's won two mixed doubles titles as well. 39 total Grand Slam titles, 23 singles titles, and 14 doubles titles. And the two mixed doubles titles were Grand Slams. She's won 73 career singles titles, period. Just 73 total. And that counts, obviously, the 23 Grand Slam titles that she's won as well. Again, just one behind Margaret Court and the most all-time in the Open era is held by Serena Williams. She's won seven Australian Opens, three French Opens, six U.S. Opens, and seven Wimbledons. If she does end up winning this U.S. Open that's coming up that is supposed to be her last, then she will tie Margaret Court for the most World or the most uh, Grand Slam tie- uh, tournaments ever won in the history of tennis. So she's the GOAT, the absolute greatest of all time in women's tennis. I think most people would agree. I think if you ask a tennis expert, not necessarily me, not a tennis expert, but if you ask a tennis expert, a tennis coach, I think Serena Williams kind of transcends the sport of tennis. She is the first person I think of in terms of tennis that could just be geography bias as well. She's an American woman. You know, the 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 heads uh, the heads of the men's Tennis world, Rafael Nadal, you know, uh, Roger Federer, Novak Novak, uh, Novak Djokovic, those are all, you know, very prominent names as well. And the three, I would say the three best men's players as well. But the first name I think of in tennis is Serena Williams. That's the first name I think of when I think of tennis, period, cut and dry. I think she is one of the, she is the only, the only woman in this isn't necessarily a detriment I mean, it is, it's a detriment more to the covering of sports in general that she is she is one of the only women to eclipse her male counterparts when it comes to popularity in the sport, I think, especially in the United States. I think when anybody thinks tennis in the United States, I think Serena is one of the first people that Americans think of. And I think that's something interesting because of the way we look at women's sports in general. Um, in today's age, as they, you know, in women's sports are slowly becoming uh, more and more, uh, I wouldn't say, I mean, accepted alongside the men's, the more they kind of uh, grow in, in terms of pub, the public eye that they get, you know, the, the coverage that they get from the public eye, whether it be the WNBA, um, this women's softball as well is very popular. And we, you know, I talked earlier a couple, you know, I guess this was a month, a couple months ago about the women's college world series and stuff like that. The WNBA, like I said, is getting a lot more coverage than it was before. And women's tennis kind of feels like the one where it has the only woman uh, that kind of eclipses the male counterparts. And I think that's an interesting thing to think about. Um, when you think basketball, you're thinking, Basically, all males, you're thinking Jordan, you're thinking LeBron James. You, when you think of, you know, baseball slash softball, you're almost always thinking baseball. You're thinking of, you know, Hank Aaron, Pete Rose. These are just names that are coming to my the first thing that comes to my head. But when it comes to tennis, it's Serena Williams. She's right up there with the men. She's on, I would say, the Mount Rushmore of all tennis. You know, Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic. And I think I, I think you put... Serena Williams right up there on that Mount Rushmore as well. And I don't think that's too blasphemous of a thing to say when it comes to her accomplishments on the court, but also off the court as well. She has become one of the world. She was the world's uh, highest paid athlete back in 2016, earning almost $29 million. She repeated that feat in 2017 when she was the only woman on the Forbes list of the 100 highest paid athletes with $27 million in prize money and endorsements. Um, 
She was also ranked 28th in 2021, uh, 28th on the Forbes World's Highest Paid Athletes list, and she is the highest earning woman athlete of all time. So, Serena, congratulations. You're not listening to this. I guarantee you're not listening to this. Congratulations, though, on an incredible career, tennis career, but I think I am more excited to see what she does off the court um, in terms of business ventures. I know she was involved with Obviously, the movie with Will Smith, King Richard, about uh, her father, Richard Williams, being her coach for since 1994, whenever it was to present day. Um, I'm excited to see what happens there in uh, her off the court ventures. And uh, it'll be interesting to see. She won't be out of the public eye, per se. I don't think she's still a very successful businesswoman off the court, a very, very successful businesswoman off the court. And I think this is kind of just the beginning for her. She's got a daughter as well. so. We'll see what happens with Serena, but we'll go down period a Mount Rushmore of the sport of tennis, a Mount Rushmore in term, a Mount Rushmore of women's athletes, um, just in general of women, women's sports of sports, women in the world period. She will be on that Mount Rushmore and she is probably the greatest of all time when it comes to just women athletes, uh, in general, uh, in terms of, you know, facial, uh, in terms of, uh, recognition, in how good she was, obviously, she kind of ushering in a new age when it comes to tennis, uh, athletics, uh, it, tennis in general, basically. When she came upon the scene uh, all those years ago, back in 1995. So congratulations to Serena. I hope she wins this U.S. Open because then she'll have 24 on uh, Margaret Court. She'll be tied with Margaret Court. They named the tennis court after her, Margaret Court. That was a joke. That was a bad joke. I apologize, but I thought that was funny when I read that Margaret Court. I didn't realize that was her last name. Anyways, um, <laughs> um, yeah, so Serena Williams, she's retiring. I give a big salute. Good luck to her, and we'll see uh, what else she's bringing out in terms of uh, you know business ventures and stuff like that. So moving on from Serena Williams, we're going to move on. This is going to be a quick one, um, but I thought I saw the, the headline for it, and I thought it was really interesting. Um, college sports right around the corner, college football right around the corner, just less than uh, two, three weeks away, basically. Um, one of the big things that is going on right now, obviously we have had a lot of conference realignment and stuff like that. The NIL deals are still going on, but also probably something that affects the home. I mean, definitely affects the hometown viewer more so than anything else have been the media rights negotiations that are going on across all these new across the you know the all these new conferences that are kind of building up uh big 10 isn't going to have i think what 16 teams now they're going to be the big 10 but they're going to have 16 teams that's not confusing at all um once uh they their realignment is concluded they're going to have like 16 teams or something so that comes with uh, radio rights agreements and new agreement new negotiations for that and one of the big ones big 10 fox is going to be with them fox has a 60% stake in the Big Ten Network, which Big Ten Network is, you know, something you get as part of your cable package. You know, it, it kind of holds the the lesser known Big Ten games that happen throughout the week in terms of football. So like your Northwestern versus Rutgers will be on the Big Ten Network at, you know, 1030 a.m. in the in the morning on a Saturday, that sort of thing. But the big thing is. A major shift ESPN, the worldwide leader in sports, as it's called has pulled out, this is according to uh, John Orrand on uh, on Twitter, Orrand underscore SBJ on Twitter, uh, they have pulled out, ESPN has pulled out of Big Ten media rights negotiations, ending one of the longest 
sports media relationships in the business. ESPN said no to the conference's final offer of a seven-year, $380 million per year package. Sources tell SBJ story to be filed soon. That's from John Orond on Twitter. Their first deal with the Big Ten, ESPN's first deal with the Big Ten was back in 1982, and ABC first carried games in the Big Ten back in 1966. So that will end any, you know, no, no Big Ten football games will be on ESPN if that is the case. I believe that starts in 2023 or after 2023. Yeah, the media rights deal for the Big Ten, their current media rights deal expires in 2023. So after 2023, if ESPN is still out of the deal, you will not be able to see uh, your Big Ten football teams, your Ohio State, your Michigan, you know, uh, USC, once they move over to the Big Ten, you'll not be able to see those teams play on ESPN because they pulled out of this deal. And with ESPN out of the equation, your Big Ten Saturday could look, I mean, according to the negotiations going on right now, it could be a noon game on Fox, a 3.30 game over on CBS, and a primetime game on NBC. Uh, Big Ten games could also air over on FS1 with Fox, the Big Ten Network, obviously, and Peacock, NBC's streaming service, is also in the mix. Additionally, according to The Athletic, a streaming package with Amazon or Apple could also be part of of the deal, the long negotiated deal, which has rumored to be in worth, uh, to be worth in excess of $1 billion could be reached by the end of the week or push into next week. So we could see a $1 billion rights package for broadcasting rights for college football, college sports with the big 10, even though there's 16 teams, the big 10 by the end of this week, which is so mind-boggling to me and even without espn if espn was part of this package uh, part of this deal i'm sure that amount of money would probably go up if they jump back into this conversation that i'm positive that money that amount of money would go up so that's something big that's going on i think that's probably not getting enough coverage but that's also because there's a lot of stuff going on in college sports right now that a lot of people just aren't talking or are talking about obviously with nil and all the other conference realignment stuff. Not a lot of people want to talk about media rights deals or negotiations, but that's a big one that could be on the horizon. If ESPN stays out of the deal, which it seems like they are going to be, um, it's going to end the one of the longest standing relationships uh, in sports in terms of media. Uh, like I said, the ESPN they were covering, they've been covering the Big Ten in terms of games since back to 1982. And they carried the first, they carried uh, Big Ten games going all the, ABC carried Big Ten games going all the way back to 1966. ABC obviously owned by, uh, or ESPN owned by ABC, vice versa, one of the two. Um, And that could all come to an end come the end of this week or this upcoming week. We might not be able to see, uh, you know, your college game day games over, you know, Kirk Herbstreit and Chris Fowler could go to Michigan and Ohio State. They could be camped out in the parking lot or whatever they do and still do that show. But that game will not be broadcast on ABC where they have all their festivities and stuff like that. Kirk Herbstreit might not, you know, go up to the booth. Chris Fowler might not go up to the booth for that game. And it might just be over on Fox or NBC and Kirk Herbstreit gets a different game or something like that. So it's going to be interesting to see where this all ends up. Big 10 is just the beginning. We have, you know, SEC media rights deals still have yet. I don't know when their contract expires, but their media rights deals still need to be negotiated, and that one is going to get a ton of money because it's the SEC, and nobody loves football more than the SEC fans down south. Include, not to mention they still they're going to have uh, Oklahoma and Texas 
joining the SEC, and those are juggernauts in terms of making money, in terms of uh, the amount of people that watch those games. They have uh, basically primetime games every single time they're on, so that's going to add to the money. And it's interesting. We'll see what happens to you know the Pac-12. USC and UCLA are gone. They're not going to be there anymore. The Pac-12 seems to be scrambling for uh, an ability, you know, somebody to come to their conference or merge with another conference in order to pull, you know, a decent amount of money in terms of media rights. They look like they're going to try to merge. They were trying to merge with the Big 12 to get more names into the Pac-12, but with USC and UCLA gone, that's going to take a huge hit. The Pac-12 media rights deal is going to take a huge hit. And we'll see what happens with all these other conferences, too. If you're putting a billion dollars down for these bigger conferences, how much money are you going to have left for your Mountain West or or your uh, Big East, your American Conference, all these other little conferences? How much coverage are they going to actually give to these guys, these these smaller conferences, uh, because of how much they're dishing out for these bigger conferences? We'll see what happens. And then a lot of these conferences could just end up merging and create creating big super conferences like we're seeing with the Big Ten um, as well as the SEC. It's kind of the uh, the uh, the blood is in the water. The chum is out in the water, if you will. And it feels like um, not only are these conferences going to be realigned permanently, just kind of we're going to have a 60 team uh, separate from the NCAA big football group, minor league football uh, group that plays football year or plays football for not necessarily the NFL, but basically plays football under a different umbrella than the NCAA. And we don't have conferences anymore. And that kind of feels like the direction we're heading with these massive conferences. The ACC is going to try to pull some other teams together. If the big 10 has 16 teams, I can see a situation where uh, the, the SEC tries to have 16 teams. The ACC tries to get 16 teams. And then you're getting into a situation where you can just have a tournament every year instead of the college football playoff, you can just have a 64 team tournament every year and end up getting, you know, your champion at the end of it. I can see that happening as well. And what these, the, the money that's being dished out in terms of media rights deals, it feels like uh, a lot of it's going to change pretty quickly. So we'll see what happens there. That was a quick one. That was a quick uh, update there, but that, I thought that was interesting that uh, ESPN had pulled out of those big 10 media rights negotiations. So, I think that is going to wrap up this week's show. Got a couple stories in there. Got a couple uh, Kevin Durant, Serena Williams. Shout out to Serena. She's the GOAT. Absolute queen in every sense of the word. Uh, Retirement. Congratulations. And uh, we'll see what happens with the conferences. I hope, pray, because we're not going to see college football the way it was before, but it's always been changing. You know, we used to have an, an SWC, the Southwest Conference, which was like Texas and uh, you know, Oklahoma and, and SMU, and then it changed to the Big Eight, and then it was the Big Twelve. So it's always been changing. This one feels a little more. Uh, the change that we're going through feels a little bit more drastic now than it probably did back then. So who knows what's going to happen? It's just interesting to see it all kind of happen right before our eyes. Okay, that's going to wrap up the show. Uh, remember to like, not like, uh, rate and subscribe. I would really appreciate that. Leave a nice rating if you wouldn't mind. Uh, the Weekend Sports Rep Podcast. I've been your host, James Timberlake. 